Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. The Philacrosophy Podcast is brought to you by Oxia Time, a cool watch company focused on university-branded watches. John Canaris is the founder of Oxia Time, and he was the goalie at Penn in the late 80s who led his team to the Final Four. John is actually best known for being the goalie that Gary Gate dunked on in the Air Gate. Oxia Time makes beautiful, Swiss-made, authentic watches whose design and quality match the essence of the universities they represent. I can attest to the quality of these watches. John hooked me up with a sweet Brown University Oxia watch, and I think it's the nicest thing I own. Initially licensed with eight Ivy League schools, Oxia keeps adding new schools each month. One of the coolest things Oxia offers is custom timepieces to commemorate championships or to celebrate storied teams. Check out the UVA Lacrosse Championship watch. It's sick. Princeton did a really nice one last year as well. Oxia even did an LSU football championship watch this year. For any teams interested in creating a custom watch this season, Oxia will upgrade it at no extra cost to a championship watch if your team wins a conference or national championship next year. For players, parents, and coaches interested in custom team watches, check them out at oxiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com. What's going, everybody? I want to welcome Andrew Gavazdin to the Philosophy Podcast. Uh, Andrew is the co-founder of Goalie Smith, one of the top goalie instruction companies in the world. And uh, Andrew was an All-American at Hofstra and um, is uh, coached and played at the highest levels. Really fired up to have you on the show here, Andrew. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm, uh, we've been talking for a while now, so I'm looking forward to this. Uh, I know we've had some great talks, so I, I have no yeah. doubt this will be no different. Yeah, really excited to hear about, um, you know, your journey. And, and why don't we kick that off with um, just your journey as a player and as a coach and how you got to where you are. Yeah, originally from Severna Park, Maryland, uh, not too far from where I am right now in Baltimore. Uh, my brother and I, my brother Mike, who's also the co-founder of Goalie Smith, along with me, we're two years apart. We grew up playing together. Uh, both went to the public school, Severna Park High School. Uh, after that, uh, my brother went on to Hopkins. I ended up going to Hofstra. Coach Seth Tierney, who I'm sure most of the viewers and listeners here uh, know, uh, was, uh, was moving on from, from Hopkins as an assistant, where he was very successful, to Hofstra. I was his first recruit coming over uh, because of that connection of him rec- recruiting my brother, Mike. Went up to Hofstra. Uh, I was fortunate enough to play for four years there. My first game ever being against my brother, which was awesome and pretty memorable. Um, after that, uh, after college, I uh, you know, got into sales. Um, but that's basically my background. I, I started off in Maryland, went a pretty indirect route up to Hofstra, uh, had a very fun and successful career there, uh, and then moved on. That's awesome. Tell me a little bit about your the mentors you had along the way as coaches that helped you either as an athlete or as a goalie. Yeah, uh, I'd say the biggest mentor I had growing up uh, was a guy named Mike Bellotti. Uh, he was originally a coach at Sferner Park High School uh, and um, through a couple of things, it, uh, ended up having to leave the school. Uh, but he was a guy that at a young age 
was was he was uh, at a young age he invested in his young players. He had this big philosophy on like building the community by by combining the older players and the younger players. So something that my brother and I would do is we would naturally just get shot on all the time. But Coach Bellotti was a you know when we were in middle school would come pick us up, take us to fields where he would have his best high school guys at, at Sverna Park and and Sverna Park is a is a dynasty of a, of a public school in Maryland. If you know anything about uh, Maryland public school, obviously Maryland private school dominates. But he built this strong culture at a, at a strong public school lacrosse program where uh, again the young players that were coming up through the feeder programs. He would like to try to get them up to playing with the high school guys early through uh, off-season games, uh, anything at all, just just shoot arounds. Uh, and one thing that he did with Mike and I is he would just kind of pick us up and wherever we were during the summer, take us to Naval Academy, cool fields, go get shot on by guys that could shoot the, the heck out of the ball. Uh, and then afterwards, it would all take us out to lunch. And, and it really became a, a community-based thing, but also reinforced hard work, which is exactly what we do with Goldsmith today through community and hard work. Was it more about experiential or technical? More experience. He, he really didn't. He was your standard coach who didn't know much about goalie except for the stuff that's been passed, you know, word of mouth through years, whether it was right or wrong. It was more the experience. Uh, and, and it was that was my big takeaway. And a lot of what we do at Goalie Smith is more focused on that than the fundamentals. We do a lot of fundamental training, but I think that's where kids – don't get their edge from. I think where they get their edge from is becoming uncomfortable, learning how to fight when you're scared, you know, and, and, and knowing what it feels like to step up and, and get a real success. And for me, that meant, you know, enduring, you know, a lot of painful getting hit by the ball until it became a, the pain of getting hit by the ball isn't nearly as fun as stuffing a senior in high school when I'm in sixth or seventh grade. So uh, I think through learning that, that's what gave us our edge. It also reinforced our hard work. I think really that's what I really learned about what work looked like, like what, what it would look like. I mean, there'd be times where I'd be playing video games. My brother would be like, it's time to go. And I'd have to pause my game and hop in the car with him. And knowing that I'm going to walk away, like probably tears in my eyes because I was in sixth grade. Mm -hmm. uh, no matter how tough you are at that age, you get hit by a ball, like it's going to come. And, and just knowing that like, this is what it looks like. You got to stop what you're doing prioritize this because the payoff is there. And, and it talks a lot about work ethic. And, and that's what we try to instill in our goalies from a young age is even if you're not fundamental, like if you have the drive, you will get better because you will naturally, you know, crave the, the, the work and the, the attention to detail that goes into that work. Now, what about when you got to college? Uh, who was the goalie coach at Hofstra when you were there? So I kind of liked what we did there. I didn't really have a goalie coach specifically my my freshman year to my about junior year until coach Brazel, who's now an assistant at Stony Brook, uh, who's a good friend of mine still. And I still talk to, and he was a great goalie coach for me later on, but I didn't really have like most college programs. I didn't really have somebody at Hofstra. Uh, and so what I did was I just, it was Mike and I, we kind of like did a, you know, we just worked with each other. In fact, I was looking at somebody sent me a picture the other day of me, my freshman year. Um, and if my, if my clients, my goalies who train with me regularly saw it, they would be like, coach, like, this is bad. Like my knees are all the way down on the ground. I'm sinking and tight. Like I could see everything that we teach wrong, but that made a dramatic shift my junior year. And that was really when I started becoming analytical about the position. I played hockey goalie growing up. And so I like carried over a lot of good and very bad habits from that, but I never really looked at my game. Like you got to stop doing this piece of it. As oddly as that sounds like I didn't really have somebody growing up like that it took till my junior year when my brother 
was out of college uh, where I really gained him as a mentor of now that we're out of this thing, let's take a look at it. Let's, let's look at all the things that we've been taught incorrectly. Let's think about everything that we've learned along the way. And that's when we started to really like be understand that like, wow, this position hasn't been modernized yet. And if you make changes, it's going to work. And I look at the way that I played my freshman, sophomore year and, and it was fun looking, it looked cool, but it was so inefficient. And I cleaned things up in my junior year. That's when I really got it going. But so to answer your question, uh, the mentorship came more through, through my brother and I kind of throwing ideas off each other and, and kind of questioning the status quo of what goalie had been taught to us by then. Um, but um, other than coach Pilati and my brother, my college years, the other guy I would say was, who was pivotal in, in, in getting us to play goalie and, and also teaching us a lot of the, the fundamentals and basics uh, was Charlie Toomey from Loyola. Oh, and how did he help you? So growing up, it was different. We didn't really, and I'm sure you remember this, but it wasn't really like during the summer, you didn't go to showcases and, and tournaments and, and we, you know, you do maybe a handful of those, but we used to go to like Loyola camp. That was the thing. Like you just yeah. went to like Maryland camp or Hopkins camp, Loyola camp. And even when I was in college, we would go back and work those camps. Um, it was, so it was through there that, that we both tried goalie coach Toomey, you know, basically opened up the floor for anyone to try goalie. That's my brother tried it. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've always been near him because of where we lived and, uh, he now lives in Sierra Park. So we've always been nearby coach Toomey and attended his clinics, his camps. And that's really where we learned a lot of the fundamentals of goalie. Very cool. And so, um, tell me how you started goalie Smith with your brother. Yeah. So we were both out in California after college. Um, I took a little bit longer of a route. I went to New York city for a little bit, had a great time there, but, um, uh, my brother went straight out at, uh, after went to LA after college just to kind of start something new, get away. You know, always been attracted to the the warm weather and that kind of lifestyle. Uh, and we just kind of stuck with lacrosse. We did lessons on the side the same way you do when you're in college. Um, and there was obviously a big niche and need for it out in California. So he was out in SoCal. After a couple of years in, of New York City, I moved out to Northern California where I lived in San Francisco. So we kind of covered both areas of California. Started working with programs, you know, getting kind of LinkedIn. If you're someone who graduates college in, in an area like California, if anybody gets a whiff of any kind of recruit or someone that's, you know, or, or, or an alumnus of some decent program, they're going to come emailing you and convincing you to come coach a B team of a bunch of headaches, you know. So we, we got involved with programs. I got involved with the Alcatraz Outlaws. A good friend of mine, Blake Atkins, who runs the Alcatraz Outlaws, is, is a big credit to our success. Uh, for allowing us to kind of get, he kind of gave us a platform and I'll explain that in a second, but we both just kept goalie Smith or not, sorry, not a goalie Smith goalie work on the side as a way to make a couple extra bucks while doing normal, normal jobs. Um, after a while, what we started doing. So through outlaws, uh, they kind of allowed us to just exclusively work with the goalies. Like I basically went to him. He had me coaching a B team. That's my friend, Blake. And I, and I said, listen, man, like this isn't my forte. Like I don't manage, kids well I don't manage the parents well in this kind of scenario I just coaching is not my coaching a team is just not something that is a strong suit of mine admittedly um thank thank god it's a different skill than coaching what I do now but it just wasn't something that I was really into because I just loved coaching goalie I didn't really care for trying to tell a face-off guy what to do so uh, I went to him and I said listen can you just take me off this team and have me work with the goalies only let's carve out time where we just work with the goalies we basically built this model that I hadn't really seen before in club lacrosse, which is before every practice, I, you know, I had the goalies for a good hour of just straight, you know, like drill work. 
I kind of like from my time as a goalie, one thing that I didn't, and my brothers as well, one thing that we did like when we attended events was all the standing around on your stick. And that's just kind of a core principle of what we do is that no goalie stands around during one of our sessions. And we started off doing that. What we realized is like, as we did it, not only were the goalies getting better, but the best goalies, the ones who were really good already were the ones that were, were like clinging to it the most. In fact, all the ones who's were thrown into the goal and didn't want to be there were kind of backing out. And for us, that was really appealing. That's exactly what we wanted to do was give something that hadn't been done before, which was elite goalie training. So we just stood in our kind of neck of the woods, myself in Northern California, him in SoCal. And we did about three to four years of just straight lessons and, once we went from private sessions, we grew to three-person sessions and extended the time. And what we realized was, you know, at first people were like, well, you know, there's something about the private session that, you know, having that one-on-one connection, which is great. But there was something better about the three-person group because it allowed goalies to then benchmark themselves and allowed people to collaborate. It allowed us them to compete against each other, compete against us. And it like created this like, family of like, oh, okay, now these two kids show up. Okay, maybe this kid was here this week, but he knows the kid who's here. And there was different pairings and different groupings and different places that we did it. And as that started to catch on, we said, cool, let's see if we can go to a bigger format and still not lose lose what we we're about. That's kind of how we've you know, grown at Goalies with this grow, but don't lose what we're about. And so we went from three person, you know, little sessions to small clinics. And we were getting 25 to 30 goalies like right off the bat. And if you're an event runner, you know that like a small clinic in Northern California, if you're drawing 30 people, there's something here. So we went from there. We decided, you know, we're going to make a, a trip back for the holidays in November. Why don't we try to do Maryland, Long Island and upstate while we're there? And if there's something here, you know, if there's something here and it, and it goes well, we'll, 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 we'll think about doing this full time. Cause it's definitely a big gamble. I was making, really good money doing what I was doing. And and Mike was certainly making good money down in in LA. So for us to kind of like do it, we had to be certain. So we did a trip back to North, uh, to, to Maryland in November. We did Maryland. We did Long Island. We did upstate New York. Uh, We had a connection through Dylan Donahue in upstate New York, we had a facility. Uh, We reached out to a place in Syosset for Long Island. And in Maryland, we had a connection to an indoor facility down here. And uh, you know, we threw some, vigorous sales and and definitely some grunt work that that I look back upon and you know we put in a lot of hours of trying to convince goalies to come out we got like about 45 at each of them uh and and it really clicked us that if we did this right uh we we could we could quit what we're doing so after those were successful and they definitely you know had their shortcomings uh which I could go on forever about but uh after we did those we 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 said screw it so January 2018 we said starting January 1st We'll finish out the year doing our current jobs. And then after that, let's go full-time. And ever, ever since then, that's kind of how it, it was uh, incepted. Awesome. And now um, you guys are all over the country. Yeah. I mean, we certainly do a lot of traveling. In fact, we're pretty exhausted from our, 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 our past trip, which was awesome. But we, we, try to, we try to hit as many places as we can. When we first started out, we were doing like 14 cities in a month. We were basically like a traveling band. Uh, we, we did multiple tours of at least 12 or more cities where we were cramming these in uh, and we were doing like three hour sessions and we were Seattle and, and California, Texas, Colorado, Massachusetts, Long Island, Jersey. I mean, we hit Florida everywhere, South Carolina, North Carolina. We hit almost, you know, most of the states that, that at least have lacrosse. 
and, and we would do these three, three hour clinics and get great attendance and not make a ton of money, even though the price seemed like high, it was, you know, super expensive on our end. And we were certainly young and having fun in whatever city we were, you know, traveling to. So it had so much upside to it, but there really wasn't the lucrative side yet, but it really taught us everything we knew. And it gave us the ability to grow slowly uh, to what we are now. But um, now we try to travel as much as we can getting older. It's certainly, you know, it, it slows things down, but also now having uh, Meg Taylor uh, and Drake Porter on our staff has allowed us to kind of pick and choose when we travel and, and the ability to kind of send people in different places so that we can try to reach out and give everybody what they need. Love it. All right. So I want to talk a little bit about philosophy. What, how do you characterize what the philosophy of, of goalie Smith is as far as trying to help goalies get better? How do you, how do you, how do you present that? How do you explain that? Yeah, I think to answer that, I think it's kind of twofold. I think the first, there's, there's just two pieces of, of the answer to that question. I think the first one is uh, kind of what we teach, like exactly what we teach and how that differs and how that's going to make you a better goalie. And the second thing, which I'll start with, uh, is more of like the environment, the atmosphere of what we do at a goalie Smith event, no matter what the event is. So the first thing I'll say is the event themselves is what changes the goalies before we even kind of tweak anything. Even if we weren't, didn't coach a single goalie, when they come to, when you come to a goalie Smith event, what you're getting is something radically different than anything you've ever done before. It is high energy. We have music pumping at all times and all four coaches screaming their heads off in a good manner, right. To get the energy going. Uh, it is a, if it depended on the size of the event, it can be a ton of really good goalies around you. That shock the system where you go, I've never seen this many goalies in a room before, let alone goalies that are better than me or extremely talented or where I'm at, where I think I'm at. Uh, and then it's also just reps, 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 reps. So you're also getting an insane workout. It's a lot like a boxing gym where you've got basically all these coaches going around and people doing different drills and different stuff. And there's timers going off and we're rotating and we're moving. It's kind of the, the, the functionality of it. And it's a big time shock to anyone who comes for the first time. It's like almost automatic that anybody who comes for the first time uh, sends an email and goes, I've never seen something like that before. And we were gracious for every single one of them. But that's the point first is to shock the system and to show the kids, this is what training looks like. This is what work ethic looks like. And this is what somebody who better than me looks like. And that's what I want. So really for the most goalies, I'd say about 90%. There are goalies that, that attend, I think, where it's the more the parent, you know, wanting them to want it. And, you know, if, if you don't love goalie, our stuff is not fun for you. But luckily, most people who come to us love goalie. And it just changes immediately. I get emails all the time from parents that, that are awesome that just basically say, you change the way my kid approaches everything, school, work. I mean, he, not only that, but he socializes more because these kids, and remember, a lot of people call us goalies weird. When you put a bunch of goalies in a room together and you teach them how to open up to each other, it changes their social skills. A lot of them are now like, you know, because we're all kind of a little strange in our own ways. Now, a lot of them are like meeting these kids at these things and they start quiet and then by the time they've come to three or four of these things, they don't shut up and, and they're there, which is awesome. And we get a lot of good feedback from that. So it's really more so than just with the fundamentals, which I'll talk about next. It's a culture shock. It really is something that like parents get to watch. And we, and we try to keep parents away because it's really good, not like keep them out. They can watch, but we keep parents off the field. Uh, that, so it's the kid not having any outside force and just tunnel vision as they watch pandemonium controlled chaos in front of them 
change the way they perceive what training looks like. And then after that, we obviously sprinkle in kind of what our modern approach is on the position. And our approach is by breaking it down into really two sides of the game. You got outside shots and you got inside shots. When it comes to outside shots, what we try to change our train our goalies is being efficient with your footwork, being set early before the shot, limiting any kind of pre-shot movement. That's moving your knees, that's falling forward, that's dropping your hands, teaching them how to be really patient from a deep shot, track the ball in the shooter stick. And after showing them how to move to shots, trusting that their body will react fundamentally if they control in their head all that patience before. And then on the flip side, when it comes to inside shots, we teach our goalies how to be more analytical about what they're doing, where the shooter is, how they can influence where the shooter shoots, and also how to read where the shooter shoots so that in tight, instead of being patient and deep, we're teaching our goalies how to go early and read. And when I say early, I mean as the shooter commits to the shot and not be patient and get dunked on, but instead with a couple factors being the shooter and also where you are in the cage, you know, all kinds of other things, how to, you can make more one-on-one saves by beating the shooter rather than just letting them shoot and, and just hoping that you, you get to it quick enough. So where does like a seven yard shot fit in? Is that inside or outside? Or is that mid-range? Yeah. So you're talking like a mid range. So we'll talk about mid range shots as well. And mid, we, we think the game where the game is headed. And this is why, like we just constantly like change and, and, and adapt, not change, but adapt to the game. When I grew up, it was outside shots, right? It was all like, Ball up top, dodge down the alley. If you don't get the shot off, great. We're going to hold it for another seven minutes because there's no shot clock anyways. Just different kind of ball. Nowadays, it's it's very – it's almost basketball-esque. It's very in tight. It's very pumped. You know, there's a lot more in tight stuff. So that mid-range area that you're talking about there is in the, the range of almost like a one-on-one shot where it's in close. And if you just sit back or if you don't do anything on your end to dictate where the shooter shoots – you more more often than not, you're going to get scored on. So it kind of revolves in. I'd say the, the marker for us is about eight to 10 yards. Okay. Anything outside that, like 10 yards you're sitting on anything that you start to creep in there. Nine yards is kind of in between a little bit, but you don't want to get too technical with the kids. Yeah, that yeah. mid range shot, you got to start anticipating. You got to start reading. And it's not like a soccer penalty kick where we're just jumping to a side. We're using a lot of factors. We're watching body language. We're watching where we are in the cage. We're using where we are in the cage to maybe make them think that we're out of position. We're doing all kinds of things that we teach them in our sessions that get them to make more saves. And as a result, all of our goalies make more one-on-one saves. I love it. Well, because there was, there was a, 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 a theory out there that you just, you never would do that. You would just kind of wait, wait, wait. And, and you're just not going to make a save on a seven yard shot. If you wait, 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 you're going to have to, like you said, you're going to have to read it more. Um, you just can't react from that distance, right? Whereas on the outside shot, if you're in position and you're moving efficiently, you ha- you have a chance to make that save. Yeah, I, I think uh, you'll appreciate this, but Drake, who's obviously an employee of us, played in the uh, sixes this weekend, and we've yeah. been training him for a while for this. We, you know, I think a lot of people just like like most viewers are wondering what it's going to be, what it's going to look like, and we've been working on this specifically with him. And he also played with the Canadian team, and uh, you know, against Maryland the weekend prior, which is obviously regular, regular uh, rules. But with this inside game, we've been working with him to be more creative. He admittedly said, you know, we weren't really allowed to do that in college. And because of it, he thinks that he suffered. And, and this past weekend, I, if, I don't know what the final statistics were, but uh, what I had read was that he was the only goalie above 50%. And, and because of it, he was having fun with things. He was getting shooters to shoot where he wants and changing up his style a little bit with a lot of the stuff that we teach. And this is all seven yards and in. So this is a good sample size of like 
what does a game of all one-on-ones look like? Mm-hmm. And if it works here, it certainly will work in, in, in the outside game as well. Really cool. What, uh, what, what's your philosophy on, on where your arc should be? Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think if you're six foot or above, I don't, I don't see any value. We'll talk about certain circumstances of when it, when it, when it makes sense to play out. First and foremost, we we're not cookie cutter and saying you have to be on your goal line at all times. There are, are so many good opportunities for a goalie to play high out, to come out. You know, let's say a guy is getting pinched down the alley. He's got a defender making sure he doesn't get topside and he can't get his stick. Awesome time to come out, play a high angle, come out and be big. Uh, there's so many circumstances where it does. But for the most part, if you're talking about an, an area where a shooter can get topside, anytime a shooter can get topside, if you're six foot and above, there's no reason you should be playing a high arc. It's just if you take up most of the cage, you should use that to your advantage. The more distance between you and the shooter, the better. Under any circumstance where the shooter has topside, and we're not talking about low angles and, and areas where it does make sense to come out. Uh, I think at a young age, you know, you certainly can get play a little bit higher out. The, the, the issue with, or also if you're smaller, I think the issue though with the high arc, especially at a young age, and the reason you do it at a young age is because the kid takes up an eighth of the cage. So you pull them out a little bit, shuts off the angle, and shooters aren't really changing their plan. However, what it reinforces is a lot of like getting out of position, obviously, because the kid's going to be floating out and you can't see peripherals. But it also, ha- it also, along with like the phrase step to the ball, teaches a lot of goalies to attack out. And when we get these goalies for the first time who have years of bad habits of playing high and playing far out, they're always the guy that when somebody pulls their stick back, they're moving early. They're, they're, they're pushing. So what we tell our goalies is that you can play a high arc, but if you play a high arc, it's almost like you're bringing the cage with you to your arc. You're still playing here and here. You're not going any far forward. If you're already playing high out like that, you're already limiting the distance between you and the shooter. You're shortening it up. Any more forward movement is just going to, anything going to a corner is going to go in. So I think there's a strong uh, advantage to playing deeper in the cage and learning how to do that. Um, I think a good example, we have like two goalies who are completely polar opposites, but both play low in terms of size. You got uh, orange Linus who's this big giant going to Ohio state uh, as a 22 uh, plays deep on his goal line. And you got Mikey Belidi, who's a short uh, guy from uh, long Island who just committed to Syracuse who also plays back on his line because he's got wicked fast hands. One guy takes up the entire cage. The other guy's small. So I, I see a lot of value in a lower arc, but we're also huge proponents of when to come out and when to be aggressive and, right. and using that to your advantage. Well, you got to be in the middle of the net and it's hard to be in the middle of the net when the ball moves and you're on a high arc. <laughs> I mean, it's almost that simple, right? I mean, yeah, I think, I think you look at all the cross crease passes and stuff like that. You're just going to get toasted. You need to be able to, to move across the arc with as least step as possible. But then again, you look at Dylan Ward and when he sees someone like time and room on a wing, He's going to come out and give you not much to look at. And well, it's interesting too, because I can tell you as a shooter, if I can see net, I'm going to feel pretty good about being able to like hold a guy up and put it there. But if I can't see any net, now I have to kind of shoot where there is no net and I have to trust that they're going to get out of the way as opposed to, you know what I'm saying? That's a little bit of, if I could, if I, if I could hire like one more person right now, it would be Dillmore. I absolutely love what he brings to the game and it's what we try to instill. Basically, Dylan understands the value of playing low on his arc. And if you watch the way he plays, he does it a lot. But Dylan is also the ultimate, like, 
like gamesman goalie where like yeah. he does the cool stuff where you he basically gives himself the green light and we try to do this with our goalies as much as possible and a lot of them are, have done so well with this of like yeah that guy's in that low angle and he's winding up you take three steps out and you reset yourself and you mess with them you do that after you make a couple saves because you're already feeling the groove awesome we love to give our goalies the freedom to kind of just be a goalie man be yeah. raw be bring the energy to the game Cause it's not just about being like a robot ball stopper. And that's what we were taught growing up was everybody stand like this. And we take all shapes and sizes of goalies and different strengths. And you got to like, let goalies do what they're best, but you also got to like show them how to do it. Like there's a lot of like kids who like don't really understand how to dictate where a shooter shoots or traditionally call bait. We call it like to call it dictating. And, and, and once you like, you have to show them, you got to really show them what it looks like. And then there's other kids that just come in they're just natural athletic you know, they might have all the fundamentals wrong, but like they, they just are, are naturally like, I'm going to save this ball by any means necessary. And I think Dylan Ward's just a fun yeah. one, like, case to look at, you know. Yeah. What about stance? What's your overall philosophy on, on what your stance should be like? Yeah. Look, I think width is, is a sticky point for a long time. I'm a, I personally stand just outside my shoulders, a little bit wider than, than most stance. I always tell goalies, because I've seen people go really wide and move well. Like, there's a goalie at Princeton right now. His name's Mike Gianfricaro. He's a phenomenal goalie. Uh, Team USA goalie. Or, no, got cut by Team USA, but beat Team USA um, when he was at Culver. Uh, was the top goalie in the class. He plays, like, his feet are almost touching the pipes. I've never seen anybody be able to play it, but, but Mike does it great. And anytime you try to bring Mike's feet in, it just doesn't work. He's so good at doing it. Awesome. Then you got a guy like Galloway who stands completely still. And if you try to teach a lot of kids how to stand like that, it's not going to be great for them. So what I always tell kids, the width of your stance is always as good as your feet are moving. And the way that we look at your feet is simple. Are your feet, is, is your lead foot getting outside of the ball? Is it, is it getting outside of the ball? Are you crossing over? Are you taking short choppy steps? Or is your lead foot getting outside of the ball? On a 95 mile an hour shot. So just to backtrack, a lot of people tell goalies, like there's a thing in the goalie world called a step and collect, where you step to the ball, and you collect your back foot, right? So that it kind of, you, you don't just kick a leg forward and leave your back leg, you bring the back leg forward. But on a 95, 100 mile an hour shot, call it what it is, you can't, you, there's no way in, in hell you're going to get both feet to the ball, a step and a collect before the ball gets there. So the most important step is always your lead step. How quickly can you flash that leg uh, if it goes wide of your body outside the ball so you get volume, your body volume behind the shot and your hands have an easier path where your legs aren't instead of where your legs aren't moving and you're just throwing your hands. How quickly can I get my leg outside the ball so my body's in front of it? So when we look at the width of a stance, we're always looking to see how effectively they do that. Sometimes when people are too wide, they 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 can't move their feet. So one of their feet kind of has to come in before it goes out. So that's what we're looking for. Or if they're too narrow, sometimes they just don't get enough push. So we kind of help each goalie when it comes to that. Um, other things when it comes to stance, I think a lot of goalies we're taught poorly about, you know, where to hold their top hand. And because of that, they drop their hand a lot. We always find that if you're like six foot 10 or you're four foot two, no matter what, your thumb should be at chin level. So that your elbows are kind of resting nicely. Um, we don't want any kind of tightness in the hands. If you hold your stick straight out, it's going to limit your mobility. But really what we're trying to teach in stance, our overall philosophy on stance is being controlled and patient and loose. Uh, the feeling of like a long pole, coming down the field and pulling back and, you know, 
about to sling a ball. What it does to your body is it causes you to get tight. And when you get tight, that's when your bad habits kick in. That's when you sink. That's when you fall forward. That's when you make it yourself immobile, right? So what we try to teach our goalies through giving them very good shooters, all the shooters at our events are either in college or committed, uh, by giving that is teaching them how to train their body to relax before a shot. So no matter how you stand in the cage, the biggest thing that, that you can learn from and gain from a goalsmith session and experience with us is learning how to control your body being patient before a projectile is being thrown at it. You watch a lot of PLL goalies and you'll see a lot of different stances. You'll see a lot of different footwork. You'll see some stepping and exploding. I feel like, like, like gets kind of explodes. Whereas you see like Troutner, he kind of collapses and he might have his knee collapsed in one way and his hands going another, but in the end, is there anything more important than to have your hands get on the ball? Yeah. I mean, look, I think where the game is headed because of the PLL, because of all the changes they're making in college, the value of a goalie who controls the ball is huge. It's no longer who's just the best deflector of the ball. We got away with that stuff uh, when we were growing up, but nowadays it's about transition. It's about moving the ball. And with that, I think what you're seeing from a lot of PLO goalies is less pizzazz and more patience and control. You watch the way, I love watching Blaze Reardon play. Uh, I've never met the guy. Drake knows him and says nothing but awesome things. But I just look at the way he plays, and, and I tell a lot of goalies to watch him. He just looks so calm in the cage and patient. And I think that's because he's just in so much control of what he needs to do. Uh, I was watching Troutner play the other day against Team Canada, and then I shot a couple messages with him back and forth after. But I'm watching him play, and he's just playing angles. He's just clearly squaring to the shooter knowing where guys want to go, closing it off with his body and being so calm and doing it so that he's not jetting the ball out. I mean, everything's just dying at his body. So I think what we're starting to see from the PLL, uh, and it's such a good display of lacrosse and especially goaltending. I love seeing the love that goalies are getting through it, but more importantly, deserved love because the way we're starting to see this is the way that you start to see goalies in other positions play the position, protect the cage. It's not so much come out and attack the shooter, which is what, has been taught for generations. It's protect the cage. It's sit back and block this thing. The same way that a hockey goalie does, same way that a soccer goalie does, and certainly, obviously, because of bats in front of them, but same way that a catcher does when they're blocking balls. It's protecting the area behind them through use of the body and through use of the hands, obviously, as an extension of it. And so if you watch the way that these guys are playing, it's very smart. It's calculated. They're set early. They're patient. They know where they are in the cage. They know where the shooter is. They know how to get where the shooter is Get, get the shooter to shoot where they want to in real time when all this craziness is going on at the highest level of the game. So if you watch it, the best takeaway that a lot of goalies can get from it is just how calm, collected, and smart they're being about what they're doing and not just, I've trained for this, here I am, game day, hop in, make save. It's You watch them just play and you know that Blaze is, you know, he knows that guy's going to go there. Great, he's going to commit early to it. He's timing it up or he's leaving it open. And we're seeing a shift in the way that youth goalies are now being trained. And we're certainly trying to do our part in that. But that's my biggest analysis. And what I, what I take away from the style that is leading to so much success in the PLL is guys just sitting back, being patient, letting their hands naturally react to the ball and playing the angles game with their body. When you think about Blaze, he's got one of the most interesting stances because he kind of stands there with his feet together. His stick is sort of 45 degrees, kind of hanging out. 
But then right before there's a shot, he will set. And then he'll, that's kind of when he gets into a little bit more of a ready position, seems like. Like he goes from a sort of a straight up hips high kind of hanging out there position to more of a ready position. Then he's he's making his reactions from there. Is it all a bait? Is he kind of just trying to like stand up to bait you low and then he takes away low and, you know, with his with with his with the way he kind of jumps into it? Or would you characterize it completely differently? How do you how would you sort of articulate what you think Blaze is doing? Because it's really interesting. Yeah, not, it, not it is really interesting. It's awesome. It's different. And, and I think it's like, it's hard to like teach his style to go. I think a lot of what blaze does is just intuitive on his own part. I think he's just, he understands from so many years of playing the position, the biggest, the biggest area that I watch when I watch blaze play is always his off stick low. If you watch the way he plays, he doesn't really use his stick to get to off stick low. In fact, I think he uses his feet a lot. He, you know, he does that kind of butterfly style where he doesn't, he kind of just throws his hands down. He doesn't really go from here or, you know, it's a little exaggerated, all the way down. You can see kind of like into the corner on those low shots. He really is kind of like taking away part of the cage and saying, from what I see at least, I'm taking this away. You can't really shoot there. Shoot in other places. And it's it's wild to watch because it works, it works so successfully that he really – he doesn't – he's not just standing in the middle of the cage and saying, okay, pick one of the four corners. He's basically saying, first of all, he's a big human being, so he takes up a good amount of space, which is awesome. But he's also like playing to his strengths. He knows what he's good at. Not this is how you play goalie. This is, this is what Blaze is really good at. Good, let's take this away and let's make him shoot to shoot to these spots only. And because of that, I think it limits where shooters can shoot. And I think he just sits there and gobbles it up because he's so patient. The more patient you are, you know, regardless of getting set early, the more patient you are, the 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 more you're going to be able to see in real time and not be tight. Every time you're patient, everything slows down. So through his calmness, through his patience, and through his understanding of what his strengths are, I think he just sits back and lets his hands do the work. I always felt like when I was recruiting goalies that a good goalie makes low saves. A great goalie can do that, but they can also stand up the high heat and that the good goalie will dip too much and give up the high heat shots. How do you, how do you sort of teach that? How do you teach the ability to stand up to the high heat and have the confidence that you can still get down on a low shot without – well, that while being patient, that's the being patient part right there. Right. Yeah. I think, I think, again, I think the common theme here is empowering and teaching goalies how to be in control of their own things during shot. Here's what happens inside of a goalie mind, right? Nine times out of 10, an, un, an untrained goalie. This is what happens. You are just watching a play happen. You're maybe saying a couple of commands that you were told, you know, where the ball is, who's hot. If you even get that good and you're watching a ball, and you're watching a shooter and he winds up and you're not thinking about anything else. You're just watching a ball and your body just does what it does. It's going to naturally move in defense. It's a defect. Your body's basically defending itself. It's okay. We can't just stay here. We got to move. And what the shift is now where we're teaching, where goalies are clearly finding success in the PLL is here's what I'm doing. Okay. I'm getting set when I need to get set. I am knowing what's going on with the play. I am tracking the ball in the shooter's stick instead of watching his body. Side example, right? Someone goes low to high. If you're watching, if you're watching the body from outside, that's what guy why goalies do. I'm holding my ground during this windup. I'm going to allow the shooter to shoot around me. That's that's how you have to think as a goalie. And if you think like that as a goalie, you are now in control of everything. You're in control of your positioning. You're in control of holding your stance. You're in control of where your focus is on the ball. And if you piece together those elements and you train a goalie that way, 
They almost don't even need to think about it. It's their natural way of approaching the position now. Instead of I'm going to be a victim to this play, I'm just going to react to whatever this offense does in front of me. I am now in control of being set early or I am in control of where I am in the cage. Now I can talk to my defense because I know what play is going on. This guy looks like he's a feeder. Okay, I'm going to stay low to the cage here so that I can catch anybody that's cutting to the crease. Those kind of things is how we're teaching our goalies and what goalies need to start learning. Instead of just here are the fundamentals, here's how you make a save to the area. It's more of here's what you need to be thinking about. Here are your focus points so that you are more consistent, so that you are making more saves. When I'm thinking about coaching defenders or offensive players, so much of the game is your ability to read the game and to influence it. And you were sort of talking about influencing or you said baiting or uh, what was your word instead of baiting that you used? Dictating. Dictating. Um, but the reading part is huge because you got to be able to read it before you can even dictate, right? Because you got to sort of figure out what's happening. What are the options? Right. And I feel like this is probably like the difference between good goalies and great goalies is their ability. It's not just the technique, like you said. It's not just like understanding how to, how to move to make a save, but rather being able to com- compute immediately what the options are, how much time do they have, how much angle do they have, are they going to be checked in a second? And, and therefore, to be able to, if they know what their options are, you might be able to dictate a shot by giving them, giving them uh, an idea of where, you, where they might want to go, and then you just take it away. Yeah, and I think the big thing for for goalies and, and really what go the like how a goalie session works is is also like building muscle memory of the situations that you're going to find yourself in in games. We we try to rep out as many realistic uh, looks as we can. We'll do you know things that Teet are doing or Bernhardt are doing. We'll have our shooters run through different looks, different types of shots, different angles, top side, low side, uh, pressure, non pressured, uh, different looks different passes from different angles. We come up with drills all the time to simulate. So just build that muscle memory so that they don't even have to think about that piece of it. When they're in a game, they know exactly. And their body is now trained to do what we're telling them works and what we're showing them and what they're seeing works uh, when, when situations arise. So when I watch film of my goalies, I can just see the drills that we've done. Just like, it's awesome. It's so fun to watch. You just, and, and that's kind of like our, 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 something that we always come back to is like, how can our goal is the brand promises like to make sure that we see what we're doing in, in actually working and, 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 and happening in real time. And if it's not, then it's, then we just need to address it as a group and figure out what does work. And so when we watch film of our goalies now, it's so fun to watch them all just have been trained to do things, but also bring their own styles in certain circumstances. So you're getting goalies, not only who are now more analytical about the decision uh, about the position, but, They've been tested thousands and thousands and thousands of times under these different looks by guys who are really good at shooting, like Logan Wisnowskis. So if you're battle tested there, you know, when you go back and play club ball and you're a sophomore in high school, it should, should be a little bit easier. But the context is the key. And in, in, in many ways, you can simulate all you want and, and, and certainly repping that stuff out and understanding what those scenarios might be is important. But there's probably no substitute for actually playing in context, live play. Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, and, and it's something that is just impossible to simulate. I mean, it really is. And, and, and so to try to cover that, and I think an area where Drake, uh, Coach Porter, uh, you know, really helped us kind of grow the business this year, not just people-wise, but like idea-wise was – talking about those kind of situations, like bringing up stuff with the goalies, whenever we do find time uh, and we, we try to cut it out every practice where we talk about scenarios and we talk about like mental 
things that go wrong. I think a lot of goalies uh, and where we didn't really touch a lot on before this year was like teaching goalies, like this is what's going to happen. Now it's impossible to recreate that feeling of a game or also recreate the feeling of like having a really bad day in the cage in a big game. But what we try to do is, is talk about those things and be vulnerable and, and let goalies share their experiences so that there is something close to context. But as you said, there is nothing that, that really does it, um, uh, you know, justice. So that's where the, the analytical side and the focus points can really come in so that we can help our goalies stay on track and be more consistent in the cage. Yeah. And I think it's good, good for goalies to know, too, that like, hey, going out and getting people to shoot on you is great. But um, if you could play in a four on four, it's probably better. Hundred uh, percent, and and that's what we, yeah. I think it's I think it's one of two things. I think I think getting a lot of live reps is huge. I, I think what I've seen from the most successful goalies over the years, it, uh, one common thing I've seen from successful goalies over the years is at a young age they play up. They find like pickup games. They find ways to play with the older kids, and not necessarily advocating for you know playing uh you know up on club uh, you know a year older or whatever. I, I don't I don't have an opinion on that, but just like finding ways to do that, Play. whether it, yeah. You're in high school and you jump into a six on six with a bunch of college guys. It's an amazing experience for you to play in that context because now you're not just getting ripped on by college guys because they can just shred you, but you're actually playing in the context where you can learn what the options are. And actually, if you're pretty smart, smart goalie, you know, you might be younger and less experienced, but you might be able to make some saves with some good defenders in front of you and learn that context. Yeah, uh, I think some of my fondest memories uh, in, in my playing days were certainly the, the the moments where I was way too way too young to be playing, but playing in these in these pickup games in these different scenarios where it uh, where it just basically changed my my love for the position. So uh, I agree with you on that. How about the importance of being a great lacrosse player? You think of Blaze Reardon, the starting forward in the NLL, just a phenomenal. I mean, he's, he's arguably the best lefty on any team he's ever played on. And, and or or we like we were talking before the call, you know, Owen McElroy, the first team All-American goalie at Georgetown, didn't even play full-time goalie until he was in ninth grade. He was an attackman all the way through. And he's very good out of the cage. He's a really good lacrosse player. How important is it for goalies to be great lacrosse players? It's now more than ever. I think as the game grows, it just keep, continues to be the answer is more than ever. I, you remember the days of stick the kid in the cage. I think the women's game is starting to, to expel that a little bit too. I, I think we're seeing a better job of, of not just sticking the unathletic kid in the cage, not just because it's the best thing you know, for them, but I think for the team, having the best athlete typically is going to result in having the most raw athletic person who is not going to be afraid of, of, of stopping, uh, stopping a ball. So uh, more than ever and our best goalies are, are, are 95% the best athletes. We do, we don't do much sprints at goalies with sessions because we still are goalies. Uh, but uh, you can clearly see the best, the most well-trained. And I think it just, I think it just ties the discipline. I think if you are somebody who really is going to be a good goalie, it's going to be because of all the time and work you put in and, Naturally, anybody who puts in that much athletic work will reap the benefits of being it, uh, a, a good athlete. But there's still that raw genetic, like, you know, this person is a, is a nasty, natural ball stopper that takes people above the edge. But no doubt. Um, I mean, we've seen we've seen so many good. That's that's those are the fun ones. It's really nice, you know, having like all these top recruits be guys that train with us. It's awesome. It's good. 
it's obviously great for the business and uh, it's fun for us to just see guys go from incubation to, to college. But the best ones are always the ones that this kid's coming and we're the first thing we think this kid stinks. This kid stinks, but their attitude is awesome. Like they just, they, they're not n- nearly there yet, but this is a project for us because, and it's one that's going to work out. We always know right away. You can always tell when a kid is not very good in the cage, but like they follow, inst- not just follow instruction, but actually get it. I think you can probably test this as a coach. Like it's, there's not like a, just a plethora of, of people out there who like hear instruction, make it happen right away and see the result. It's, it's, one of the more frustrating parts of being a coach when you're, when you're young, especially is like being like, you know, you kind of have like, why don't you get this? But it's just part of, I guess, you know, development as a child or, or anybody at all. It's really tough. So when you do get somebody like that, who may not be there as far along from a, from a, from a goaltending standpoint or whatever, uh, those are the fun ones for us because we've had so many come through our program and just stuck with it, just stuck with it. Just keep going, keep going, keep going and just take instruction so well. And, and every time they come in, they're working on something new and it always ends up in a success story. And that's what makes it truly rewarding from our standpoint. Yeah. That's fun. I want to go back real quick. Cause we were talking about being a great lacrosse player. And then you were also talking about being a great athlete. And obviously everybody wants athletes, but I want to talk about the lacrosse player thing, because I think so many times youth lacrosse goalies are relegated to basically just being in the goal. And then they're, they're just not really developing into being great lacrosse players. And then all of a sudden they're in eighth or ninth grade and they're just, they're not that good. And the idea of playing other positions when you're younger, I mean, if you want to be a goalie, great, but you know what, play some midfield, play some attack or play three by or play box. And I don't mean that, I don't know what your opinion is on being a box goalie. Cause I think Dylan Ward has proved that you can take the, that, that discipline and it'll help you with things, but you could also be a player there's a lot of guys that in boxer, like, you know, they're, they're, they're a player in boxing. They're a goalie in field in, in Canada. That happens all the time. And so right. the point is, and you see this with Canadians with, you know, polls too, you know, they're like goal scorers uh, or, you know, and, and they got unbelievable skills. Like Brody Merrill was top center of the power play for the Orangeville Northmen when I first saw him play in like the, in the, in the Ontario final, semifinals against St. Catharines. And he was like, I was like, man, who is that guy? He's like, oh, he's pole committed to Georgetown. I was like, holy cow, that kid would have 40 goals for me at Denver. Point is being a great lacrosse player and for the young goalies coming up, I would imagine you're going to have a lot more to work with when you have somebody who's 13, 14, 15, and they've got actual skill and, and game IQ and know how to play the game and not just been nonstop goalie lesson guy. Yeah, no, I, I could not agree more. I think you and I talked about this in a previous conversation where we talked about a goalie that you and I both know who yep. was not a goalie and now is a freshman at Ohio State playing goalie and switched, you know, seventh or eighth grade. And it was one of the easier transitions I've ever had. I mean, it, in fact, a lot of the transition players have, I think it comes down to having a stick in your hands. I mean, when we were kids, we always had a stick in our hands. Whether well, it was a goalie stick, but it was mainly a fiddle stick. I lived with a fiddle stick in my hands. I like tweaked that thing so much that I could throw a fake just going like this and just keep the ball on my stick. We take it to the pool. We take it to the airport and they would confiscate them. Like anywhere we went, we had a stick in our hands and it led to us just being better lacrosse players. But we also played other positions. We played other sports. You know, I played hockey. Obviously I was a goalie in that too, but we, we, when we started lacrosse, like I started in midfield, Mike started an attack. You know, we were both playing different positions. And I think goalie people who love the, the sport as a goalie, will find ways to like, they're the ones that are always like, come on, let me play one rep of that. Let me play one 
you know, line of midi when you're killing a team or something like that. But I couldn't agree more. I don't think it should be specialized until it, it needs to be specialized. And I don't think really until you get to maybe late middle school, does yeah. it really matter for you to commit to like fully being a goaltender and being a part of a club, you know, that, that you know, club team, if you do that route that goes throughout the years and stays together. But I agree with you. I think at a young age, the focus should be more sixes style lacrosse. Like <laughs> if you want to call it that, like box lacrosse. Box lacrosse. And, and, and I also, to go back to that, I hate when goalies complain about box lacrosse. So my favorite lacrosse memories were uh, we played in this facility in White Marsh, Maryland here uh, at a young age, again, playing up with older guys and just getting wrecked with balls, but just having the time of my life, like learning how to play a different style. Yeah. Uh, and also being able to kind of carry hockey goalie uh, into the position. There's so much that you can learn from box. Uh, and I'm, there's a reason why Canadians are so good when they play field lacrosse and get to basically go to whatever university they want to go to because their stick is always in their hands, in tight scenarios, in small areas, in everywhere they go. And I think that's just the culture shift. There's culture that you need to have to be a successful goaltender or any position on the field. No doubt. Um, I want to switch gears to the last part of this conversation and talk a little bit about college lacrosse recruiting. Um, you know, what do you think? Uh, is there a prototype goalie that everyone's looking for, or do, you, or do they come in all shapes and sizes? Uh, do people rather have a bigger goalie, but they'll take a little guy? Yeah, I get, I get. It's funny. You know, everyone's got different philosophies, but I get a lot of like comes. You know, come the months before September, I get a lot of like, just give me like six foot three and above. You know. Um, I'm fortunate. I get, I get to, to deal with a lot of, not deal with, but to get to, to, to help a lot of coaches and put them in the right direction. Like these are the guys that make, cause we get to know a lot of these goalies on a personal level. A lot of the top goalies train with us, but we also get to know them from a GPA standpoint, from a family standpoint, financial standpoint, um, social aspects, you know, should a kid go to Penn state or a small school kind of thing. Um, and with it, the, you know, our, our principle, and then I'll kind of get to the full meat of your question there. The principle that we always have is like, we're not here to reach out to a bunch of college coaches and say, take these guys, take these guys, take these guys. It's not good for us from a relationship standpoint to, and, and we have a great relationship with a lot of coaches because of this, but we don't come with an agenda. It's always, we always ask the, the schools, you know, or where they're at, you know, where they have gaps in recruiting, where, uh, how they confident they feel, how much money they're going to be able to spend. And we got to help them like in the right direction. These are the right people that you should just go for so that, and then you're starting to see this obviously COVID uh, rapidly increased how many kids committed early. But again, this year, like a lot of goalies, there's a lot of positions, but a lot of goalies committed early. Like our list of goalies is like, there's already 30 kids that are committed, you know? So point is, is that we're, we're, we're helping them save time by everybody going after the same 10 guys and moving on. But to answer your question, you know, the prototypical goalie is a goalie that is big, tall, that, that people want, and that but big, tall, but doesn't come with the slowness that a typical giant would come with. They want someone who's patient. Um, coaches who know what they're looking for are looking at footwork. I think that's a big thing. Um, but universally, the biggest, I don't want to say surprise, but the biggest shift I've seen from what coaches are looking for, and I kind of talked about this earlier, a lot of coaches, more so than any year I've ever spoken spoken with coaches, a lot of coaches this year are looking for someone who doesn't doesn't flop, direct the ball back into traffic and give up possessions. They're looking for someone who catches the ball and immediately puts it into transition, going the other end. 
Um, a lot of the offenses, as you know, are, sh are shifting to this transition. I think Virginia has obviously won two championships, not only solely off of, but you know, highly influenced by their ability to, to move the ball quickly up and down the field. And what I'm seeing a lot of demands for are goalies that are more patient and are, are controlled in the cage and not the ones making all the cool looking saves. It was always the cool looking saves or what got you recruited, but people are becoming smarter and realizing they need somebody that just doesn't give up rebounds. And obviously on top of making saves uh, and making above 50, whatever, 52, 55, but more importantly, it's the ability to like control the ball. And clear it. Yeah. And, and clear it. There's like, that's a non-starter. And it's funny because you always like tell kids that as a coach, like if you're always like hit the wall, hit the wall, hit the wall, no matter like who you're talking to. And now it's like a, finally a thing with goalies that we're like, you can't clear the ball. You're not going to get recruited. It really clearing's always been important. Don't get me wrong, but possessions are massive. And yeah, now there's more of them and the efficiencies are going up. A possession is worth, you know, about uh, 0.35, you know, it's a 0.4 of a goal. And if you give it away, then that's, you add, you add their possession on top of it. You're, you just gave them 0.8 of a goal. Um, and it, it kills you. It's tough. I mean, I, I'm thankful I played goalie when I played goalie. I, I really do. I mean, there used to be a rule where you could run out of pass and you get five seconds to walk back in the cage. And I would coach Amplo, who was my defensive coach at the time, taught me like use every second of that. Slow it and, down. And so you know, I'd be slow walking back to the cage, redirecting. It's go, go, go. So I think one of the things you alluded to earlier about the athleticism, like the kid who's out of shape can't hang anymore. Like you just can't. It's exhausting. Our best goalies regardless of size are the, just the best athletes and the bet, the ability, it's a combination of athleticism and your ability to like process instruction and make it happen. And the, that's the combination. That's, that's the killer combination that I am delivering to these coaches. And I want to say like, you know, I'm in specifically in charge of it, but we're helping them be like, this guy might not hit your height thing, but he's going to make way more saves and you're going to have maybe way more possessions. Here's the film to show it. So we're starting to see a shift. There's certainly some, still some, some programs that we don't speak to, but for the most part, you know, everybody wants that six foot two, you know, strong, but just mobile patient goalie. Awesome. Andrew, thank you so much for coming on. You're doing great stuff with goalie Smith and it's been really fun to get to know you as a person and as a goalie coach. And um, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they? Yeah, so if anyone wants to get in touch with us, first and foremost, if anybody's not familiar with us, I always suggest just look at our Instagram. We do a lot of posting in terms of on our story. We don't do a lot of post posts, but um, you'll quickly understand what we're about and you'll see kind of what, what I was talking about today. Uh, I would say always go there first. And if you ever have questions, you can DM us. But anybody can email us and, and or email me, Andrew at goalismith.com. My brother's Mike at goalismith.com. Uh, and uh, female, male, we, we do both sides. Meg Taylor is in charge of our women's side now, along with my brother, who oversees that, and Drake and I are overseeing the guy's side. So we cater to everybody. Uh, we just ask that you're you're hungry and you want to get better and you're ready to be pushed uh, if you come train with us. Awesome, man. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey, I really appreciate you having me. This was fun.